The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five, making you money. Stocks looking to close out the month, the quarter, the first half of the year in the green with some pretty eye-opening moves higher. From music to money. Grammy-winning rapper Megan Thee Stallion teaming up with Jack Dorsey's Cash App to give away $1 million in stock to fans and maybe teach them something along the way. The IPO rush rolls on as 18 companies prepare for their New York public market debut. Didi, the Uber competitor from China, the big headliner. Could we see $100 a barrel oil and $5 a gallon gasoline ahead? Lima Croft is here with her predictions for tomorrow's OPEC meeting. And Boston Dynamics taking on BTS with a new bot video. Look at that. It's trending and it's coming up on this Wednesday, June 30th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us here once again on Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a quick check on your Wednesday markets before we start the news and start the show. Dow futures, they are just a touch lower off, maybe about three-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ futures, well, they're in the red, but they're effectively flat. I mean, down like one-tenth of one percent, maybe. The markets could be waiting on that big monthly jobs number, the June jobs number, is due out on Friday. We may be in a holding pattern ahead of that. And of course, any kind of Federal Reserve reaction to it. Well, here's some random but interesting stats for you. It has been another solid month for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, but not the Dow. In fact, the Dow is down seven-tenths of a percent this month. So unless we gain more than seven-tenths of a percent today, the Dow will quietly end a four-month winning streak. The S&P 500, however, is on pace for five straight monthly gains. And the Nasdaq heading for its fifth higher quarter in a row. That is the longest win streak since it had nine positive quarters back in 2017 and 2018. Technology certainly back in vogue. Let's check oil. Crude is higher right now. You've got OPEC plus, OPEC plus Russia and others meeting tomorrow. The expectation is that they will add or begin to add about 500,000 to a million barrels a day back on the market starting in August. We'll get more with Halima Croft on her expectation for OPEC a bit later on in the show. WTI crude up 30 cents to 73.30. In the meantime, let's get some of this morning's top corporate stories right now, things that are top in the headlines. And for that, we go to Christina Partsinevelos 
with more. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Brian. 18 companies are actually set to go public this week, including Clear, Sentinel One, LegalZoom, and Krispy Kreme. But the headliner today is global on-demand service app Didi. The company pricing its IPO last night at the top of the range at 14 bucks a share, according to reports, raising some, eh, $4. billion. That would give it a market cap of more than $67 billion, right in between Uber and Lyft. And Microsoft and Google are reportedly ending an almost six-year truce to prevent, quote, open warfare between the big tech giants. The two companies had signed a pact back in 2015 to end a drawn-out legal battle, but that pact expired this past April. And according to the Financial Times, the two did not renew the deal. The lapse comes as global regulators close in on the industry and its key players. And hip-hop artist Megan T. Stallion is teaming up with Cash App to encourage financial literacy and giving away $1 million worth of stock to fans, which she calls hotties in the process. In a video posted to YouTube and Instagram, the 2021 BET Best Female Hip-Hop Artist talks about the importance of buying stocks, dollar-cost averaging, and diversification. Buying stocks a little at a time on a regular schedule can help grow your investments while limiting how much risk you're exposed to. It's called dollar cost averaging. So you buy the dips and ride the waves without even having to think about it. Ride the waves. And Brian, this isn't the first time Megan has given back to her fans after WAP, her hit record with Cardi B. The Grammy Award winning rapper sent cash payments to fans. And in December, she gave away free Bitcoin. Buying the dips is good. We just need dips to buy. So far, it's just been kind of up, up and away, but some good investing advice there. Christina, we'll see you in a few minutes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. Let's get back down to the markets and your money, something that we just talked about. Markets are getting set to close out a winning first half of 2021. I just said no dips. Well, here you go. So far this year, the S&P 500 is up 14%. The Dow and NASDAQ are both up 12%. Now, a good first half of the year does historically bode well for the rest of the year, although past performance is no guarantee of future gains. According to Refinitiv, whenever there's been a double-digit gain in the first half of the year, the Dow and the S&P have never ended that year with an annual decline, and that is going all the way back to 1950. I feel like we just jinxed it. Joining us now is iSector's Chief Investment Officer, Chuck Self. I want to say, Chuck, that if we decline the rest of the year, you and I are not to blame, my friend. We just gave some crazy stat. It's never happened in the history of anything, which means I don't even want to say what it means. How do you see, how do you see the second half of the year setting up? Well, I have an MBA in statistics, so uh, I understand how these things uh, work. But uh, we think that the second half of the year is still going to probably be pretty good. I don't know if we're going to have a double-digit gain in the second half of the year, but we think there's going to be positive returns. Economic growth is uh, going to continue to be strong. And as, as uh, we start to focus on 2022, there's still going to be earnings gains, not the big ones off of the, uh, the strong low, but there's still going to be earnings gains next year, and the market should be discounting that in the second half of this year. I know we always like to find fancy schmancy reasons for why stocks go up. It's the Federal Reserve. It's this. I mean, look, I'm sure there's a lot of things. The reality to me is that you have half the number of companies as we did 20 years ago, about 30 percent fewer stocks in those companies due to buybacks and five trillion dollars sitting around the world. If you had to make the, the bull case, is that it? Is it just more money 
chasing fewer assets, or is it maybe something that is fancy schmancy? Well, the fancy schmancy part is that what we haven't seen is the loan growth in the financial system. And uh, we think that what people have underestimated is what will happen when uh, banks are at where there's demand for loans uh, from banks and banks are, are have the cash certainly to lend it. And so uh, with, as that happens and, and we see growth in the economy from that aspect, that could keep the economy going. All right, let's talk more now about the economy. When we look at earnings estimates and all the stuff that drives valuations and markets, is there any sector better positioned than healthcare? I know we talk a lot about energy because it had a huge first half of the year, but any sector positioned better than healthcare right now? Well, healthcare is, uh, is certainly one of the better positioned sectors. It's not had the run up at other so-called value sectors have have had. And we're starting to see the sustainability of the pipeline that is, that's there. We think that, again, what's not really appreciated is that because of the fast pace of the development of the vaccines, that uh, there might be a, a shortening of the timeline that it takes to get new drugs and new procedures approved. And that happens, then we have significantly underestimated the earnings power in the near term and the intermediate term for healthcare stocks. And so we think investors have to be playing uh, in that uh, sector. Okay, playing the healthcare sector. Is there any sector other than healthcare that you think is still relatively fairly, fairly valued, Chuck? I'm looking across the board on my screens and I'm seeing sectors that are 20 times forward earnings. And while that's not spectacularly high, it certainly does not appear to be cheap. Uh, of course, I don't know what the E in price to earnings ratio is going to look like. Maybe you do. Well, now, I don't know for sure, but certainly that's what investors are going to be focused on. We've, the PEs are probably not going to rise too much further. So take the financial sector, uh, for example, just as I was saying before, uh, if, if loan growth starts to accelerate, then the E part of that will also increase, making the prices for financial stocks still reasonably priced. And again, we think this is a multi-year trend where value stocks are going to outperform growth stocks, but you've got to be in sectors and in companies that have strong balance sheets and can increase their dividends. Hi, sectors. Chuck Self looking ahead to a strong second half of the year. And like I said, Chuck, you got the NBA in statistics. I do not. We just talked about that data about how good it is, and it's never gone down. If something happens, it's not our fault, buddy. We, we no. got you. Chuck Self, thank, thank you. you very much. Have a great day. Okay, you do too. All right, thank you very much. I mean, listen, we're up double digits first half of the year. The market's never gone down. I don't like to use the words never, ever, forever, ever again, but there we go. All right, we come back. That guy, Berkshire Hathaway, is Charlie Munger on one of his favorite new companies post-pandemic. Plus, much more on Didi Shashong's public market debut, the Uber of China, and one investor's bullish outlook on the stock. And later on, your morning RBI and some incredibly good news, good news for job seekers across the country. A very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange Returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? 
Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, time now for your Big Money Movers. Three key stock stories of the morning that are curated just for you. Stock number one, News Corp. Fox News agreeing to pay a record $1 million to settle an investigation by the New York City Commission on Human Rights into what a panel called a, quote, culture of pervasive sexual harassment and retaliation at the network. A settlement with Fox News is the first of its kind against a major news network by a civil rights enforcement agency in America, that according to the commission. Stock number two, ExxonMobil, reports this morning that hedge fund engine number one spent roughly $12.5 million to win three board seats at ExxonMobil. Now, that may sound like a lot, but according to reporters, that was less than half of the budget allocated for that proxy fight. And stock number three, well, it's another biggie, Berkshire Hathaway. Vice Chairman Charlie Munger says Zoom video will keep thriving even as life goes back to normal post-pandemic. Speaking during an interview on CNBC's special Buffett and Munger, a wealth of wisdom last night, Munger says he's fallen in love with Zoom and thinks it is here to stay. Zoom video shares, not reacting, but a pretty good endorsement. Well, however you may be watching or listening to WEX, we've got a lot more to do here this morning. Still on deck, Time Warner dropping the first long-awaited trailer for the Sopranos prequel. We'll show you a little bit of it. Plus, have faith, Seattle and Portland. Finally, some relief in sight after what has been a record-breaking heat wave out west. Today's big number, $257.3 million. That's the total net outflows the cryptocurrency market saw so far this month. According to CoinShares, Ether recorded its fourth straight week of outflows and its largest since 2015. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Are there some of your year-to-date gainers and laggards in the S&P 500? But on a much more serious note, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. 
including the very latest on that deadly Florida condo collapse and the continued search for hopefully any survivors. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that and more. Yes, Francis. So tough day after day. Brian, good morning to you. Yeah, the grueling search and rescue effort in Surfside continues today. President Biden and the First Lady are flying there tomorrow to visit with families and first responders. So far, task force teams have pulled three million pounds of concrete from the site. Rescuers are continuing to search layer by layer for any survivors. Yesterday, one more victim was recovered bringing the total death toll now to 12. Both coasts are roasting this morning. Temperatures are expected to soar again today in the Northeast, where 10 states are under heat advisories. An emergency has been declared in Boston and in Philadelphia. In Oregon and Washington, more than 1,100 people have been treated for heat-related illnesses. Across that region, there were rolling blackouts and some public transportation had to be shut down. A new report from Truecaller found more than 59 million Americans lost money to phone scams over the past year. About 19% fell victim more than once, according to the report. The average reported loss was just about $500 per person, adding up to a whopping $30 billion lost over the past year. And we're getting a first look at the young Tony Soprano in the many saints of Newark. Watch this. You can't prove it by me. He's got a D plus average. Well, he doesn't apply himself, but he is smart. The results tell us he's a leader. James Gandolfini stars in the role his late father played for six seasons on the HBO hit series The Sopranos. The movie debuts in theaters October 1st. Look at that. Dad uh, is just unbelievable, really, how uncanny it is. And I can't wait to see when it comes to the backstory of Tony Soprano. Honestly, yeah. I'm going to watch. I've never seen The Sopranos, and I don't want people to at me because I live in New Jersey, and it's like <laughs> some sort of a sin that I haven't seen it. Now I'm going to watch that movie and then watch Sopranos front to back. It'll be a perfect... Is that the perfect way, Francis? You, I, you know what? It? You have until October. I would go back, just binge the whole thing. I know it's summer. you got a lot going on with your family, but hey, you got to start from the beginning and then go back. No spoilers there okay, right now. Start at the beginning and then go back. I like the strategy, too. I can avoid my family, lock myself away. <laughs> Francis Rivera, thank you very much. You Francis. got it. Have a great day. All right. Let's get right now to today's top trending stories. That probably could have been one, which includes a high-flying, non-fungible token auction, more dancing robots, and the part of America that saw the most traffic last year. And it does have something in common with The Sopranos. Christina Parsonevelos is back down with those. Christina. I love these teases, but uh, let's get to it. Sotheby's NFT auction of Sir Tim Berners-Lee original source code for the World Wide Web ends today. The NFT features the original archive with over 9,000 lines of code written between 1990 and 1991. The winner will also receive an animated visualization of the code being written, which is about a half an hour long. The highest bid currently stands at $3 million. The Boston Dynamics robots are dancing again, this time with BTS. Hyundai released a video of the robot dog Spot challenging the K-pop group to a dance battle as the car company has now officially completed its acquisition of Boston Dynamics. The robots creators say the videos like these challenge the company to create new tools to program the robots, especially breakdancing. Very important. And in 2020, the New York, New York region officially had the worst traffic in the nation, unseating Los Angeles, which had held first place for almost 
30 years. That's according to a study from Texas's A&M's Transportation Institute. The pandemic and work from home was likely to blame for the upset, which Los Angeles clocking in three times fewer hours spent in traffic than they did in 2019. I'm sure you and I can attest to that, given that we, uh, well, I live in New York, you live in New Jersey, but I'm sure we both experienced the horrendous traffic, even just for me to get to the CNBC HQ. Yeah, certainly before the pandemic began, Christine, I mean, the traffic was horrific and the roads are in bad condition. But let's not forget, there's a lot of people that can't work remotely. A lot of CNBCers that can't and don't work remotely as well. And they were out there every day, humping it out on the roads, making sure that we were taken care of. A shout out to them. And I'm sorry we got it. They got to deal with all that traffic. But and by the way, if you thought it was bad then, now that everybody's bought a car and no one's taken mass transit, 2021, Christina, will be the year of the traffic jam. How do you say that in Quebecois? Oh, I don't even, I don't know, traffic jam? I'm blanking now. Gosh, you put me on the spot right now. Let's talk about Sopranos instead. I've got I've it. never seen it either. I'll speak French for you. Le jam de traffic. No. Christina, thank you very much. Thanks. C'est vrai. C'est pas vrai. All right, straight bon ahead. Bon we are live in another traffic capital, Washington, D.C., with a closer look at the real-world cost of President Biden's now bipartisan infrastructure plan, at least the first part of it. We'll be right back. Dow Futures down a touch. We're back after in two minutes. A big first half in the books. The markets and your money looking at a lucrative six months. The heady stats and what lies ahead. Ahead. Your tax dollars and debt dollars at work. New figures on the real cost and economic impact of that bipartisan infrastructure bill. And is OPEC set to pump up production, or are we headed for $5 a gallon gas? RBC's Halima Croft is here to break down whether booming demand will push the group to unleash more oil on the market. It is Wednesday, June 30th, the end of the first half of the year, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. It's about 527 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get a check now on your Wednesday markets. Futures, they are down just a touch. Not a lot. NASDAQ futures down about one-tenth of 1%. Dow futures down just a little more at about 114 points. But overall, as we round out the first half of the year, here are some, dare we say, random but interesting stats for you. It has been another solid month for the S&P at the NASDAQ. But not so much the Dow. In fact, the Dow is actually down seven-tenths this month. So unless we gain seven-tenths of a percent today, not impossible, but it's not looking like it, the Dow will quietly end a four-month winning streak. Now, in the meantime, the S&P 500 is on pace for five straight monthly gains, and the NASDAQ heading for its fifth higher quarter in a row. That is the longest win streak since the Nasdaq had nine positive quarters going back to 2017 and 2018. It would take a big drop to kind of blow either of those current win streaks. All right, let's take a look now at oil, which had a big win streak to begin the year. Oil, the best start to a year and ever, especially with energy stocks. Now, we talk about this because OPEC plus, OPEC plus Russia and others, they meet tomorrow. The expectation is 
OPEC will add about 500,000 to maybe up to a million barrels a day back on the market beginning in August. We'll get more in the OPEC preview with Lee McCroft in just a moment. We also have to look at lumber and the dramatic rise and the dramatic fall of lumber. Lumber is actually now down 13% year to date. It is set to notch, get this, its first negative half of a year since 2015. Even worse for the month of June, lumber down 42%. That's its worst month on record going back to 1978. I mean, think about that. For months, we talked about how lumber had this incredible run and it had tripled off the lows. Now we're here saying, eh, lumber is now down year to date and may have its worst first half to a year in whatever many decades. This is commodities, folks. When you have too much demand, not enough supply, and then invert them. That is the rise and fall and why commodities and maybe cryptos too, by the way, I won't call them currencies, crypto commodities, maybe why they have also had that kind of a rapid switch. Either way, good news. If you're trying to build a home, buy a home, build a deck, or, I don't know, buy some trees. All right, let's now get some of this morning's other top stories outside of our discussion about lumber, including a major decision by the Supreme Court on evictions. Christina, back with the details on that and more. Christina. Brian, well, we have the Supreme Court now refusing to lift a ban on evictions for people who have failed to pay some or all of their rent during the pandemic. In a five to four vote, the court ruling to leave the CDC's national moratorium in place, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who cast the fifth and deciding vote, writing he voted not to end the program because, in part, it is set to expire at the end of next month. Kavanaugh added that the extra time will allow for additional and more orderly distribution of the funds from Congress for rent assistance. Warren Buffett is warning that despite improving conditions around the pandemic, its potential impact is not over yet. Buffett offering that outlook while speaking with CNBC's Becky Quick during last night's special, Buffett and Munger, A Wealth of Wisdom. The economic impact has been this extremely uneven thing where I don't know how many, but many hundreds of thousands or millions of small businesses have been hurt in a terrible way. Most of the big, big companies have overwhelmingly have done fine. It's not over. I mean, in terms of the unpredictability uh, and in terms of the economic, it's been very unpredictable, but it's worked out better than uh, people anticipated for most people and most businesses. And it's just, for no fault of their own, it's just decimated all kinds of people and their hopes. And Elon Musk says he's prepared to spend up to $30 billion to keep his Starlink satellite venture in orbit. Speaking at the Mobile World Congress conference yesterday, Musk's projection is dramatically higher than the company's 2018 outlook of $10 billion for overall costs. He added that Starlink will provide global coverage by August and is aiming to have half a million users within a year, up from the current 70,000. Musk also says the company has signed two big telecom partnerships, but he declined to name them. And Brian, I need to let you know that the satellites for Starlink are called Dishy McFlatface. Dishy McFlatface. And they're about 500 bucks each. That kind of goes to this auction for a boat name years ago where they wanted people in, I think, the U.K. to name a boat. And everybody got together online and said, let's name it Bodie McBoatface. And that ended up winning. I have a feeling this is kind of an offshoot. You're probably right. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. 
Bodie McBoatface. Christina, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, now to the very latest on that bipartisan infrastructure bill. As President Biden hits the road to try to tout the job-creating potential of that plan, a new study it is examining the real economic impact of the package. Alon Moy is here now and joining us now with more on those findings. Alon, what did the findings find? Well, Brian, the White House is calling the bipartisan infrastructure framework the largest long-term investment of its kind in nearly a century. But that new analysis out today finds it'll take decades for those benefits to show up. The nonpartisan Penn Wharton budget model projects the infrastructure plan won't generate any change to GDP by 2031. That's because the $1.2 trillion in spending is spread out over the next eight years, and it'll take even longer than that to ripple through the economy. In the meantime, the national debt will grow by 0.4%. But when you look out really far, I'm talking like 30 years, then you start to see the payoff. Penn Wharton estimates the plan will boost GDP by 0.1% in 2050, and the permanent revenue raisers, coupled with economic growth, will eventually reduce the debt by 0.9%. Yesterday, President Biden characterized the proposal as a generational investment. The answer for good paying jobs. Jobs in this job, jobs not just in our biggest cities along our coasts, but in small towns across the country. So families can build wealth and opportunity in rural hometowns and don't have to leave when they're grown up. But memories in Washington are short, Brian, and lawmakers are going to need to see a political payoff for supporting this proposal sooner rather than later. They can't wait 30 years. Back over to you. No, of course not. And it's it's nice sounding. A lot of that, of course, has got to be made in the United States. We talked a lot about renewable energy and windmills and building them here. And now we're importing a lot of this stuff. A lot of it probably has to do with the Chinese currency fluctuation. Either way, uh, what are people saying about the debt? Right. Jobs are great. Manufacturing is great. But a trillion bucks to the debt. What is that sort of between us friends? Well, you might ask that because Congress has already spent trillions and trillions of dollars. So what's another one trillion when you add it on top of that? One of the things that Penn Wharton finds is that because this plan is not actually fully paid for, the increase in the debt reduces the amount of economic benefit that we'll see from this infrastructure plan. Penn Wharton says that, you know, if this were completely offset or if they were able to find a more efficient way of paying for it, something like user fees, for example, that would actually um, increase the economic impact and, you know, make good on the promises that lawmakers are are making in terms of, you know, this being a way to improve the economy long term. When lawmakers are talking long term in this case, they're not talking 10 years. They're talking 20 and 30 years. And you got to also have the workers to do the stuff that we're talking. You can create jobs, but there has to be the employees there to do that as well. Alon Moy, big new study on that infrastructure bill. Alon, thank you. Have a great day. Well, will they or won't they? That is the question when it comes to OPEC Plus, the oil group meeting virtually tomorrow. And the global markets are eagerly awaiting word on whether OPEC and really the Saudis will start adding more production to the market. The OPEC chatter right now is that the group is likely to throw about another 500,000 plus barrels on the market beginning in August with the potential for more. Well, no one knows OPEC like Halima Croft of RBC Capital Markets, and she joins us now. Demand is booming. 
Inventories are draining, Halima. What is your expectation, your best guess for what Abdulaziz bin Salman and OPEC does tomorrow? I mean, it's always a perilous path to try to predict what his royal highness is going to do at these OPEC meetings. He loves to throw us curveballs. If you look at market fundamentals right now, you would say the likely path is a modest increase, potentially 500, you know, thousand additional barrels starting in August. But we just don't know. You know, will they look at COVID variants and say, let's roll it over? We know the Russians are pushing for a bigger increase. And I would say your path to $80 would be if they just simply roll over the current cuts. Because those Iranian barrels that we've been talking about, the potential to have sanctions relief on Iran, that does not look like it's imminent. And so if we do not get any, you know, increased output from OPEC, that is definitely your path to higher prices. Inventories are draining, particularly in China. I think the demand estimates, the base case for OPEC is about two to two and a half million barrels a day of added demand by the end of the year. Iran, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Alima, could add a million plus barrels a day. So even if we get Iranian barrels on the market, if demand and, and the Delta variant doesn't, you know, completely hammer global growth, we're still looking at a tighter market by the end of the year. Absolutely. I mean, that is why there is this call on OPEC crude. That's why you have the head of the IEA asking for more OPEC barrels. So this is an extremely important meeting in terms of the direction for the back half of the year. Again, we know that His Royal Highness Prince Abdelaziz is supremely cautious. But I think they're going to err on the side of doing a modest increase and then say on a go forward basis, they can make adjustments. I mean, they are meeting monthly now. They can incrementally add barrels back into the market over the course of the back half of the year. All right. You put out a note the other day, always a must read. And I want to show a graphic from it because I emailed you. I got the report. I read it. And I immediately emailed you and I said, are your numbers correct here, Halima? And you're like, you ding dong. Of course they are. (laughs) These were the fiscal break even points for many OPEC nations. And you noted three hundred and fifty dollars for Venezuela. We're not showing that. But these numbers, Iraq, Iran, they're they're not fiscal break even until one hundred and twenty or whatever dollars a barrel of oil. How is that possible? I mean, you have countries like Iran that are under, you know, serious economic sanctions. And so they absolutely need that $100 plus barrels to balance their budget under current circumstances. I mean, you talk about Venezuela, you didn't put it up there, but Venezuela has all the social development indicators of a war zone. I mean, their country has completely imploded. And so the current price dynamics you know, are certainly better, but no way provide the substantial financial relief that country needs. Saudi Arabia, though, if you want to look at where current oil prices are now, they're approaching Goldilocks levels for Saudi Arabia. For a country like the UAE, they can balance their budget in the mid-60s. For OPEC power players, the current price dynamics absolutely work for them. And we'll see what His Royal Highness Abdulaziz bin Salman does tomorrow on that virtual meeting. Halima, I will see you on that virtual meeting as well. Yes. Tomorrow, Halima Croft, looking at OPEC. Look forward to it. Thank you. Bye. All right, we'll see if they add barrels to the market, folks. Otherwise, it could be up, up, and away from prices and the price of gasoline, even if you don't care what OPEC does. All right, coming up, China's Didi Shashang making one of the most anticipated trading debuts of the year today. 
what the company's IPO could mean on the second leg of a record-breaking year for companies going public. Dow futures down 96, oil up a touch. And we're back right after this. Welcome back. Chinese ride-hailing giant Didi Shashong set to begin trading today after raising $4.5 billion with its IPO and pricing at the top of its range of 14 bucks a share. The offering, one of the most anticipated for a Chinese company going public in America since Alibaba back in 2014. For more now on Didi's debut and what it could mean for this year's record-breaking IPO market, we're joined by Santosh Rao. He is the head of research at Manhattan Venture Partners. Santosh, welcome what are you anticipating from Didi? Yeah, I'm expecting a very good IPO reception, IPO debut. I mean, you're seeing the largest ride-sharing company in the largest market in the world, in the second biggest economy of the world. So I think this is a lot of big stuff going on here. So I think this is going to be a big day. Uh, and, but more than that, this is a company that's really executing very well. Tremendous tailwind behind it. Uh, there's rapid urbanization going on, uh, the, the secular wind, the, the rising middle class, and the restrictions on driving, the density and all that stuff. So I think all that tailwind helps the company and they're executing very well and tremendous growth opportunity ahead. Obviously, American investors are going to look at Uber and say, OK, how is this different than just Uber? This is a ride hailing company like an Uber. They want to do more things. Their plan is to do more things, Santosh. But do we value them like an Uber? How are they different? How are they the same? Yeah, I think it's uh, more than Uber. Uh, it's very well funded. Plus, it, it is a global play. Uh, and they're growing beyond that. Right now, 90% of their business is really coming from China. Only 2% is outside. Uh, so I think... Uh, they, they, they have a lot of tremendous demand out there. So I think Uber is more, Uber is also great, but this is four times bigger in terms of volume of business and everything. They're vertically integrated. They're in much more businesses. There's optionality to go into other areas as well. So I think uh, this is Uber plus more. I think that's, what you, that's how you can see it. Uh, and plus they have very little competition, not because they're doing anything unfair. It's just that they outbid the others and they survived. They spent a lot of money, established themselves. And in the outer areas beyond tier two and tier, tier one and tier two, where they dominate, there's tremendous competition out there. So I think they need to grow yeah. there. So there's no uh, monopoly issue there. So I think in that sense, I, I don't think the regulatory risk is that much. Okay, because Uber has hardly burned up the charts. I mean, it's going back to its IPO, Santosh. Of course, we had this thing you might have heard about called the global pandemic and lockdowns. But overall, Uber has not made investors a lot of money. In fact, I'm not sure there's been any company in the world that has burned through more cash. I mean, losing billions a quarter than Uber. Now, investors haven't cared as much. Does Didi have a better path to profitability? Does it have a path to profitability? Yes, they have they have a path to profitability. I think by 2023, at the earliest or late 2022, they should be EBITDA positive based on uh, my projections and numbers uh, and based on many numbers. So they definitely have a path to profitability. They're, they're executing very well. And I think it's slightly, it's much different from Uber. There is, uh, they're, they're just bigger in many, in many respects. Uh, but don't expect the stock to just run out. There are issues, uh, just like Uber is. Ride-hailing business is still in its infancy. As the penetration is still low. The adoption is still low, despite the popularity. So they still have a long way to go. They still need to spend a lot to change minds. 
and uh, it's going to take some time. So you're going to see some volatility in the stock. It's going to pull back. There are some regulatory mm-hmm. headwinds out there. So I think there are a lot of issues out there. But in the end, it's a long-term play. Near term, you're going to see a lot of volatility. But in the long term, you need to have it in your portfolio. It's a big cap play, just like this, just like the other big cap plays in China. It's a great way to participate in the second largest economy of the world. Think in decades, not years. Santosh Rail and Didi's big debut here in the United States. Santosh. Appreciate you coming on, Wex. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. On deck, your morning RBI and why new numbers on the job market just blew our mind. And also why we're asking for your help. And if you have not already, follow our podcast, Stitcher, Apple, other Spotify platforms. Check us out every single day. If you're one of these people going to be stuck in the traffic jam for the next year or two, You're going to want something good to listen to. And dare we say it, it's pretty good. Dow futures down 65, Bitcoin off 1,700. And we're back right after this. Look at some of those year-to-date gainers. Goldman Sachs up 41%, Amex up 35%, Chevron doing great. Some of the laggards there, but there are definitely more winners and losers. Today, the last day of the first half of 2021. My, how time flies. Well, today's RBI is a follow-up to something that we did yesterday. The incredibly tight, red-hot, very good job market. Well, it's a good job market if you're looking for a job, if you're trying to find workers, Pretty much the opposite. But remember yesterday, we told you that the percentage of people who say that jobs are, quote, plentiful was 48.5% in May. And we thought that was high. That's why we talked about it. Well, check this out. The June numbers, they came out yesterday. And now the percentage of Americans who say the same thing is a stunning 54.5%. Think about that. More than half the people surveyed by the conference board say that jobs are basically super easy to get. In fact, look at this pretty random but hopefully interesting chart. The blue line, jobs easy to get. The orange line, the jobless rate. And as you can see, there we go. Look at that big pandemic dislocation, obviously, right? Big drop in jobs, big spike in jobless rates. Right now, there is clearly... The greatest mismatch between jobs, workers, and open positions in at least 20 years, if not ever. And companies are not only having to pay workers more, which, by the way, is a good thing for the most part, but also get creative in finding workers. The job market, spectacularly tight. So, America and the world, we need your help. We're going to ask you to do something. Send us any job ads that you see advertising something to get people to take a job. We've seen signs for a four-day work week, a $1,000 signing bonus, whatever it is. Take a picture, send it to us, and we're going to try maybe over the next couple of days to show a few of these. Help us out. And again, this could be anywhere in the world, not just in the U.S. Tweet us at SullyCNBC or at CNBC WEX, W-E-X, what we call Worldwide Exchange. We'd love to see them. Either way, random and interesting, the job market blazing hot in America right now. 
Well, let's stick with this theme and more and bring in our friend John Stolfus. He is Oppenheimer Asset Management Chief Investment Strategist. John, you don't have to comment on the job market, but it goes to inflation, goes to wage inflation. And I know the president and others have said recently, just pay them more. That's fine. You want to pay 25 bucks for a burger because the companies aren't going to eat this. They're going to pass it on to their customers 100%. Does this impact your inflation expectations, thoughts on the Fed, and maybe even thoughts on the macro market? We'd have to say, first of all, thanks for having me on, Brian. We'd have to say, we think without a doubt, near term, it's going to, it, it, it's going to show up on the radar screen. That it's, it's wage inflation. But the reality is, it's not atypical of this type of environment uh, when you're coming back uh, from a uh, deep recession as supply chains, if they've been disrupted, if hiring process has been disrupted, you have a bit of a problem getting people back. It happened in construction uh, after the financial crisis. I remember being in Detroit at a dinner, sitting next to a builder. I turned to him and I said, how you doing? Kind of wanting to offer consolation. And he said, he says, my biggest problem, he says, I cannot find enough construction workers because a lot of them left the business during the financial crisis. Now, that was about 11, about 11 years ago, nine years ago. I'm sorry. So when you look at that and you compare it to today, it's always disruptions mm-hmm. as you reopen. And higher pay is a great thing. We want everyone to make as much money as they can, but companies don't eat it. They pass it on unless they can't. And if they can't, that hurts their earnings and their cash flow, maybe multiples, and could bring the market down. Do you think that wage inflation, John, is a good thing for stocks, a bad thing for stocks, or just kind of a sideline story for stocks? I think I, I think it is. It, it's a uh, it, it's a it's a center right now, central story right now. But it moves to the sidelines pretty quickly as the stimmy checks uh, 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 basically don't happen. As you see a tightening in terms of unemployment benefits. I was sitting in a in a Burger King yesterday. Two workers uh, in construction were sitting uh, talking while I was waiting for my burgers. And what did they say? One of them said to the other, I'm making $600 less a week because I'm back to work. <laughs> it was wild. So you have to figure, depending upon how good a person's stimmy checks were, there was an opportunity. Now, that's purely anecdotal, okay? But we've heard from people who work for us, who have uh, uh, millennials. They've got a lot of friends who are still sitting by the sideline. But once people realize that, you know, you have to work to make a living, we'll see this this work forward. And we got to remember, we didn't have a lot of yeah. uh, increases in wages for almost uh, 10 years. So we're doing a little bit of That's a right. catch up, you know, and we can we can live with this. This Remember, you just said earlier. A big ca- show, very quickly, John, John, yeah. very quickly, before we let you go, you think stocks yeah. in the year higher than they are now? Yes, stocks we in the year higher. they do. We continue to like consumer discretionary technology, financials, and industrials. It's a barbell. If we look for garpier uh, 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 growth, and we look for a growthier value, it's working right now, and uh, we'll adapt it as we go forward. But we can't help but think you want to be broadly diversified. Optimistic, longer-term view, some good anecdotal stuff, and John Stolfus. Home of the Whopper. We, we, John going to Burger King. That's the that's the headline of this segment. John, we appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thank you very much. I'm more of a Popeyes man myself. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you tomorrow. Dow futures down about 60 points. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Have a spectacular day. OPEC day tomorrow. Take care.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.